0: Today, I'd like to welcome Khalil Vicioso. He is a 20-year career that is distinguished by shifting research boundaries, challenges, and breaking barriers. He is a bilingual, multicultural expert in creating a more integrated marketing approach by highlighting the importance and influence of cultural trends. And as he said, he is on a mission to empower brands through cultural and behavioral insights. Welcome, Khalil. How are you?
1: Good. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I want to hear about your journey and some pivotal moments that you've had that have brought you to focusing on cultural and behavioral insights. And as you say, becoming a self-described consumer trends fanatic.
1: <laughs> the, um, the I have this like probably, it's funny, the key inflection points go way before I started doing, doing this kind of so I had like graduated, undergrad, I ended up doing history, and, lit, and mostly because it was a way in to understanding people and how places changed and provided a lot of insight to that. And then I thought, maybe I'll go to grad school, maybe I won't. So it was working, and that was, was, oddly enough, managing 747 cargo flights to Moscow. This is back in the... Uh, Dating myself, but this has got to be back in the mid '90s. Um, so things are just opening up, and, and I'm fascinated because I'm seeing like pallet upon pallet after pallet filled with vacuum cleaners. And can, and and so I'm so curious about what is with the vacuum cleaners going going to, going to Moscow, and. The, these yeah, these two young guys like, in their thirties are making a fortune by shipping vacuum cleaners. They're not the official representatives for, for, I think it's Hoover. They're not like official sales reps or anything like that. They just realized that people don't have vacuum cleaners. This has just opened and everybody's glomming onto the need for vacuum cleaners, like suddenly making their lives easier. And it gave me this like, amazing insight. So like you have this big political transformation, this big social transformation, and then you see it show up in these really interesting ways, like this selling of vacuum cleaners <laughs> that's just so amazing and opens up all these opportunities. And that, So that convinced me that I really don't care so much about the business of sending cargo, but I'm really fascinated about what's going on in, in, in culture. So I eventually found a graduate program that was um, CUNY Grad Center. And it was focused on development, but not, not focused on children exclusively. It was like development is, is your way of looking at things. How do things change? Children is one thing, but also cultures and countries and organizations. And so that was my graduate program. It was like psychology and anthropology and sociology all mixed together with a focus on, on on change. Um, it wow. was one of the big areas that we focused on and we th- thought about culture as like one of the things that drives change and how culture changes and currents and countercurrents in culture. So that really set me off
0: on, um, the, the path that I've been on ever since. That's amazing. That's quite a story. <laughs> yeah. I think you may be one of the first people that, uh, has said that, uh, Vacuum cleaners led you to graduate studies.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was, I always remember it was. It was just amazing watching all these pallets full of vacuum cleaners. And what is what is going on here? Uh, but but so interesting to try to imagine what is happening within the country and how the culture is shifting and all the, the tensions that come to the surface. And suddenly, you know, there's these this appetite for you know, for vacuum cleaners and like, what does that mean? Like I was so curious about, I was like, so people are tired of sweeping and what does the, having a vacuum cleaner mean? And all of those kinds of questions. So you, you really set me on the path.
0: That's amazing. So, you know, that uh, makes me think you, you've had an, uh, an ability to, I think, have uh, curiosity, but also observation and how important are those to what you're doing today?
1: Oh, they're critical. Um, both just being able to really observe what's going on, sometimes without asking, just kind of what's the flow of activity. And, you know, when I'm doing work now, I do a lot of work on built environments and like development, multifamily developments. And I, in addition to other, other clients, and I find that that's one of the big, most important things is just watching how people engage with the world in different aspects of the world, that lived experience perspective. I think that that's critical, especially for cultural insight. Um, and then that curiosity of, like, what's underneath that? Like, What are the kind of layers and drivers that are underneath it? It's, it's like you have to have both of those, to, to, I think, to succeed.
0: And how do you constantly hone or keep improving those two skills? Um,
1: a lot of reading. I listen to any number of po- wide range of podcasts uh, probably all day um Toggling between different books <laughs> so, so keeping keeping just trying to stay on top of the ideas and where 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 what people are talking about and how they're framing stuff up and then just making it almost part of the if i'm going out walking around going to a store going wherever i'm just almost magnetically drawn to the. Like, People are wearing and doing, and you know, where they're gravitating to it. So it just becomes part of like almost like a daily the practice of daily life involves that for
0: me. Interesting. So I'm curious when you are observing stuff, how do you uh, figure out ways to peel the curtains back to understand what's driving when you're observing? Are there some tips or things you've discovered over the years that really help you? You know, like you observe the vacuum cleaners or you see what's going on in society. And, you know, in order to truly really understand what's driving that, you got to peel some layers back. How do you do that?
1: I of the most, like the most valuable thing is really getting into the, like I said, the lived experience, the granular. Like, so you get up in the morning and what happens? And like, what's the flow of that? What does that look like? So you're brushing your teeth and how long does that take? And then where do you go? And then what do you do? Really having people break those things down for me. Um, and I'll give you an example. So hopefully this starts to answer the question, but I tend to try to look at a moment first and then understand what are the different pieces of it. If I pull this apart like a puzzle piece, like who is the cast of characters? So almost thinking about it as a script or a scene helps, I would say, is like there's there's a cast of characters who's involved, who are the protagonists. There are these there's these all sorts of props and settings. And like, so what's the prop and what's the setting? And then there's like, the motivation for like, why people are doing what they're doing and what's motivating different, different characters. Um, and I find if you start to deconstruct it that way, it's a kind of a useful way to, to help tease it apart. And, like, oh, okay, I see. So these are the characters necessary in this scene. And here are the props. And this is the setting. And what happens if you change the setting? What happens if you change some of the props? What happens if you switch out the characters? So it gives you things that you can play with. Even qualitatively,
0: you can, you can start to, to, to poke at those things. So basically, you, take, you start taking a 360 view and start asking many questions. Absolutely. And then, and then
1: the, you know, without getting too academic, there's sort of a, a, a structure to it, right? So I, I always think there's like a structure to, to, the, to the things that we do and the structure to to the, any moment that you have, and that like, involves some rules about the interaction and how you're supposed to interact and what you say and don't say and who, who's there and in what setting and how does that change? Like, you know, the conversation with the same person over beer is different with the conversation with that same person during a meeting in the office. But the only thing that changed was the setting, right? So it's the same two people, but now you're switching out the setting and you switch some of the props, and you add social lubricant and all of a sudden the the range of things you talk about starts to change. So, and, and that's all about like how culture defines those different moments.
0: You know, it's interesting if you think about it, uh, research, as mm-hmm. academic as it sounds, in the end it's really structured curiosity, right?
1: Yes. I love that phrase. Yes.
0: Um, in terms of cultural insights, um, what do many people or brands Uh, do that that have misunderstandings or misperceptions when it comes to cultural insights?
1: I think I was thinking about this and I think that the one is thinking that culture is either all about food and language or that culture is all about ideas. Um, So I think that that's a mistake because it's, it's so um, it's, it permeates so much, right? Like, at this point, it's cliche to talk about like, you know, the fish is the last to discover the water. Um, and I think that that while we talk, we a lot of people repeat that that story about um, you know one fish says to another the water is really great and the other fish says what's water and like we tell that story and tell that story. But I think the lesson of that story, as simple as it sounds, takes a while to really internalize. It's like you, we're living in the water. Like culture is, is this, we're just swimming through it. It's it, it it adds this layer to the way that we see the world, um, and it's quite profound. And it expresses itself in different things like language and music and all of those those very visceral and sensorial things. Which is, I think, the other thing is that sometimes in the in questions or things around culture, they're very attitudinal, and but culture is very sensorial. So. So I think that's one where like, you're missing it if you don't get into the lived experience because culture is very sensorial. It, like, we live and breathe it and, and listen to it and dance to it and, and savor it all the time.
0: And so what are three things that companies should really know when they're pursuing cultural insights?
1: Definitely one of them is that is like focus on the lived experience. Get into the nuances. Um, or I should say focus on lived experience because then you'll discover those really important nuances that will help you connect better with different audiences by getting into that. Two is that, and this is something that, that I, that, that really crystallized for me recently doing some research with, with a client, is that culture is a lens, not necessarily the core identity, but it's the lens through which people see the world. So that's an important one. Remember that it's the lens that people are looking through, um, and then the the really pay attention to to what's being said and sung and created and memes because those are all important important parts of culture. I think those are some key ways to to start. And the one that I'd add that we were talking about before is that it's ultimately structured, and you can you can deconstruct it and see how the pieces. are are interacting and like what happens if you switch one thing out versus another and so there's room to play um in your approach which so maybe there's a fifth which is play is really important in your approach
0: when you say structure uh i'm kind of envisioning you're having a start point and kind of an end point what is your end point what's driving you what um, you mean in any particular project, like, or? you know, like a structure? You said like you know, structuring the questions. Is it like, are you seeking a truth? Uh, what is it? here? what's the structure to? Because I'm envisioning what you're saying is digging deeper. Correct.
1: It is. I think you know. In it's almost as if in my mind, I look at this and I want to answer a question, and, and it's a puzzle. But it's funny because it's a puzzle that almost that sometimes works in reverse because you have the whole picture in front of you. So now you have to kind of pull it apart to figure out how the pieces come together. So when I think about the structure, that's what I'm thinking about. It's like, okay, so here's the puzzle, but now I have to pull it apart so I can understand how these pieces come together and interact with each other. And that's what I mean by, like, it's the who you're with and how that influences that moment that you're interacting, like the brand in a moment. So I have to deconstruct this, and I'm thinking like, well, who are they with when they're engaging with your friend? and like, where is it happening? What are all the different places, and where? So it's it's a puzzle, but but in some ways you're you're going in reverse because you're pulling it apart to try to figure out how it came together.
0: So it's like deconstruct. You've you've become like the Sherlock Holmes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think when we're doing when we're doing it well, it it, it does it can feel like detective work. Like you're just like chasing the different like. Oh wait, let me. What is that about? Yeah.
0: So, chasing these insights, are uh, cultural insights different in the pursuit of them different than, let's say, normal insights? I don't think so.
1: I think the addition is that um, you're foregrounding the important role that, that cultural norms uh, play in, in the way that a situation is structured. So, you're foregrounding that the importance of culture and how it plays out i think that that's the key the key difference and and then i think where it, it's a question of like where is it most useful like um you know if you're trying to create communication that resonates with a particular audience cultural insights going to be invaluable if you're trying to get inspiration for innovation cultural insight's going to be invaluable so and it is a necessary part of arriving at, at the insights you need to really take action Um, So I think it's that it's more of like the foregrounding of the cultural dimension.
0: You know, you've been doing this for a while and I'm sure you've encountered some research barriers uh, over the years. Uh, Can you give me an example of some that you've encountered and how you overcame them?
1: Early Early on, it was the how to translate some of the more academic ideas into something that's more both actionable and accessible. Um, so that was one, I think, you know, taking models and figuring out how to make them more applicable to, to the work that I'm doing. That was definitely a barrier. Um, Do you have an example of that? I think some of the barriers, like some of the thinking around, around culture and identity, right? Like how to think about the role of culture and identity. Um, that's taken a while to, to, to really think through and, and have conversation with clients where like now it's landing better. Um, landing more, because um, initially it's either like identity is culture, so like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm Hispanic Latinx, that's my identity. Whereas like, mm, not quite. That's a that's like a lens that I see the world through, it's the filter I see the world through, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's like the core of my identity. Um, and teasing that, those layers apart so that people start to see it in that multi-layered way, I think that was something that, that probably took some some time there's a learning curve there um, and then I think you know just getting more more representation because there isn't hasn't been enough representation and sometimes the the insight comes from a combination of what you're observing and what you're asking and what you've lived and when you're able to kind of think through all of those and, and so I think that not having enough um, diverse people in cultural insights has been a barrier to to arriving at deeper cultural insights, a deeper level with the way we think about cultural insight. I think that that's that's definitely been a barrier. Um, there's more awareness of that now. Um, you know, I became a board member of Insights in Color precisely because of that, because it was a call to action. And so, like, thank you, Whitney, for getting it started. Um, but it was a, such a great opportunity to be part of really uh bringing attention to like this is this is a glaring error we're supposed to be providing insights on human beings in the world or even in the united states and there's so few people of color that we're we're missing the boat because some of it is like again that lens like my lens of experience is not something that's easy for somebody else to step into so having having lacked that that was a barrier to to really um getting to the depth we want to get to with cultural insight and insight in
0: general. Have you found it a way to communicate that to others? Cause I think I know what you're saying, you know, you, you, when you have these insights, but how do you communicate to other people that have not been immersed in the culture you're trying to explain to them and how they need to communicate or address that in their you know, branding and everything?
1: I think that's one of, you know, one of our challenges, right. Is building empathy. So a lot of sharing narratives that helps a lot. Uh, especially if we have people sharing their own narratives. Um, a lot of bringing back um, uh, wherever there's collateral, whether it's objects or palette, color palettes, or to just to, to try to commit to bring that to life more. Um, those are some of the, the ways to do it, really just trying to get people into that headspace. Um, you know, constantly on the search for co-creative activities to help clients kind of take a moment to step out of your role. Um, Cause there, there's another where we're, where one of the challenges, right. Is, is like, where do we do this workshop? And like a lot of people say offsite. And it, I, I buy into that because like, as long as you're in your office, you're in your role and that's a culturally prescribed role and way of being and way of feeling and, so we've got to extract you from that, and then try to introduce you to this other experience, and as much as possible, try to get you to try to deconstruct it yourself. I find that that works. So, so getting all the way to the answer at the end is like that's always going to be co-creative. So as much as we can get clients to work with the insight themselves in workshops, is now they have to start thinking about it more actively as opposed to sitting there and receiving the report.
0: Just information, right. I I think that makes a difference. I think ultimately people do learn by experience. And if you can somehow recreate a micro uh, version of it so that people can feel it, I think that definitely makes a difference for sure.
1: Yeah, so I'm always on the hunt for those. Any ideas always send my way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about your work with uh, Insights and Color and also intentional, Intentional Disruption.
1: Um, so like I said, I joined the board um because I was like, very excited when I saw a post on it by Whitney. And she and I had worked together um some years ago at, at a consultancy. And I love this idea of like intentional disruption, you know, the I think the idea behind it is to really make explicit things that were implicit or things that people just sort of hinted about, like, oh yeah, we could use more diversity, but no, like. Like you have an issue. You don't have enough diversity within a group whose whose mandate is to understand your audiences in the United States. Well, your audiences are in large part people of color. And you don't have that reflected. So so that's gonna that's that's an issue, that's a problem. And why why is this the case? And are you doing anything to help to bridge the gap? Um so really, calling attention in a much more explicit way, um, in a more overt way, in a more in-your-face way about these are things that that we need to address um, is is at the heart of that of that intentional disruption as opposed to like we're going to hint at it, we'll allude to it, it's implicit. We know it's an issue. It's like no, it's an issue that's urgent, and and calling, you know, really driving up the urgency on
0: seems to be a, a, more and more of an increased emphasis on this uh, throughout industries. Are you actually seeing a real shift, though, actually occurring as well in towards diversity?
1: I'm seeing attempts. I'm seeing work. I, I'm seeing genuine, genuine effort to, to change that. Um, and the challenges are becoming increasingly clear. So it's like the, the challenge of of Fact that people don't really under, even know the in, the, in, the industry exists. Oftentimes, people fall into it. The challenge that that you haven't had as many as many people of color in getting advanced degrees. The challenge that so it's like it's like working backwards. And I think one of the things that I've seen that that I think is a great sign is more and more people aware of okay, we there's there's work to be done to bridge this so that we can start to work on it. Like the awareness that there's that there's two things happening. Like we need to we need to address the now, but we also need to address tomorrow. And and how do we start to build that pipeline and that bridge?
0: And what do you see the you know on the horizon for, for this diversity? How is it going to change and and improve? Do you think, do you see anything uh, on the horizon that you are saying? Oh wow, that's really good. I see this is really going to help. You see some
1: um, like initially I. You know, I had, I would talk to clients about this. I was like, you know, when I looked on LinkedIn initially, um, when the momentum around these conversations were started, I kept seeing people being promoted. And they kept getting promoted to diversity and inclusion roles. So, so that's something that I tracked. It was like, okay, but we're not getting anywhere until that starts to shift. Then you started to see people moving into CMO roles, people moving into other types of leadership roles. Because I don't want to take anything away from the, the DE&I roles. That, that's important. But if that's where you were doing the inclusion, then, okay, it's still silent. Where, where else are you bringing that inclusion? So I've started to track more of that even on LinkedIn, more, more announcements of like, oh, you know, this person is now a CMO at Netflix. It's like, whoa, okay. Now we're starting to see a shift in the face of leadership. And one thing that, that, that I've seen in, in research I've done is that when you have senior leadership that is diverse, you attract more diverse candidates. Because now people feel like, okay, I can get a job here, but I can succeed here. I can actually thrive here. And that's a key part of this.
0: Hmm. So, what are some initiatives you guys are working on at Insights and in Color?
1: There's, there's a few. There's, there's a, there's a job board where where we connect um, employees with with talent, um, employers with with talent. So, really trying to find opportunities for folks. Um, and there's there's initiatives around um, bringing to light who the people are who are in the industry or people's color, and we really spotlighting different people and the work that they're doing. Um, and then there's education work, which is reaching out to people who are in college and even people in high school to introduce them to research and 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 what, what it means and how it impacts things that they might love, like like the sneakers they love or the phone that's in their head or a commercial or an ad campaign that they really love and giving them some insight into what's behind that and, and the role that research plays throughout that process. So those are some of the, the key initiatives that that, are, that I think are really important. And then working with, with clients more consultatively to think about the work that they're doing um, and how they can improve specific instruments. So at a very tactical level, things are on survey design and sample design and things, things along those lines. Those are some of the initiatives. And then separately, um, with my own consultancy Tiny Hat, I do, I do a lot of ongoing consulting work um, and that's on everything from, from like, the, the makeup of, of internal teams to how, how clients are approaching audiences um, and how they're, they're thinking about the role of race or ethnicity when it comes to audience. Um, so doing that kind of work on an ongoing basis and in different communities and, and things along those lines. So, so I'm trying to work at it on, on both fronts.
0: Yeah, and I actually had a conversation with Whitney a couple of weeks ago, and it was a, it was a fascinating conversation, and I think it's uh, amazing what she started here with Insights in Color. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, what role has uh, the world going to digital helped or not helped when it comes to cultural insights and diversity? It's an
1: interesting... It's re- I have found it fascinating. One, I'm able to recruit a wide range of participants. Um, because so many people have access to digital, there's definitely a, still a barrier, uh, but but it's it's gotten smaller, and so we're able to do a lot of diverse recruiting for digital for digital work, uh, virtual work. And I have found people really comfortable, almost to the point where I'm looking at, at the way that they look on the screen, and I think you're lying down, aren't you? <laughs> you're you look like you're propped up on pillows you're very comfortable um but one of the results of that is that it's made people very open like it's very easy to have a wide-ranging conversation so and, th- and that's a cultural insight right it's like they're not in the room they're kind of not they're not um in some ways performing for somebody else who's in the very room with them so there's a level. Of, relaxation they're they're in their own home so i think that's like there's a cultural insight right there about the way that we respond to things when we're in our home half lying down on the couch or something versus if i'm sitting up around the table etc so that i think that it's been good in that respect and using mobile to get people to do um home tours and things like that has been has been really good i think the other side though is that you do miss some nuance by not being there. So there's a level of just being in the physical environment. And like I said, culture is sensorial. So so some of those things, it's harder to pick up on.
0: uh, I've noticed, you know, one of the things I do is teach. I've noticed more and more, a lot of the students come from multiple backgrounds. You know, their parents are from two different countries. Mm -hmm. And how do you see see that trend changing or continuing? And also to understand that, because you are actually... In many cases, you're talking about two cultures now within uh, a person, right? Yeah, it's
1: it's interesting, especially the the rates of of intermarriage are particularly high for people of color. Like, there's just a lot of uh, of that uh, happening, and you know, it's I think it's going to increase. Number one, it would just be increasing and more widespread. Um, based on just, like, I think the census data we look at, you can sort of see how that's moving. And I think it opens people's eyes more to the role of culture, right? Because I think growing up bicultural, one thing that becomes intuitive, or more intuitive, is that there is no one way to do or think about anything right? Even, you know, my, my father's Dominican, my mother's Ecuadorian, both Latin American, but different countries. So there are some differences in the way they speak Spanish, certain words that they use, foods are very different, um, certain ways of interacting are different. And already, so I grew up, you know, knowing that sometimes the way that I, I was with, with one set of answers, different than with another set of ants and like what i expected in terms of like food would be different and so you're already kind of navigating that and then you know growing up in queens was amazing because that like continues to be the most diverse part of the country like literally concentration of different people living together so it's amazing like you know walking to church i went to a catholic school so i like walk to school but i would like pass a buddhist temple on the way and it was just so many different people constantly interacting. I really do think it, it makes you more intuitively aware of like, there's no one right way or wrong way. This is just like the cultural lens that you have on and what the customs are and orientations and that. And that's, that's, like, that's such a critical piece of the way we look at the world. So I think we'll have more of that, and so hopefully it just builds greater empathy because more people will just be navigating those differences and may, and being aware that, you know, this is not right or wrong; it's just different.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting we think about it because you know, before, you know, getting culture meant you actually hopped on a plane and went to another country, right? But now with travel, a lot of people are traveling all over the world, and you're encountering people from different countries and cultures. And I think for the most part, most people are introduced to new cultures probably initially through food. Is that correct? I think so. Yes. And then, you know, then they encounter somebody and then they start, you know, once they have a relationship with someone, they start to understand and see their point of view. And so I think now with travel, you know, where people are traveling all over, it's not just you have to go to another country to get the culture is definitely going to be shifting. And then when you have these kids that have come from two parent uh, uh, backgrounds that are completely different countries. It's even more, you know, expedited and, and incredibly interesting.
1: And how those reconcile, right? Like how, they, how people navigate, like, all right, so who gives on what? And how do we na- reconcile that? And what do the Thanksgiving table look like? What's on it? And like, do you take your shoes off when you walk in or not? <laughs> it's like, it's, it's really in the details, isn't it? That you Absolutely. learn about the negotiation uh, of cultures.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So are, are there any interesting cultural insights that you've unearthed recently in some of the work you've been doing?
1: Um, some has been interesting. As I said, I've been doing so much. I've been doing work a lot with, with um, developers on built environments. And we've been using a number of different tools, including social and search. I like to use social and search a lot as, as like a, a giant qualitative database of this dialogue happening in culture so finding different ways to explore that uh, as well as, as qualitative interviewing and whatever other methodologies but one of the interesting things was just how how the how little developers until, until more recently had really leaned into kind of understanding their, their future tenants lived experience it was like what is it like to live here Versus what are all the wonderful features you want and amenities you want? And that has been like insightful to me to see how they resonate with that. But some of the interesting things are just uh, reminded me, like one thing that I was reminded of in that work is how not to take for granted what you think something even means. So I'll give you an example, is sustainability. So, you know, one, this developer wanted to lean into sustainability as a differentiator in this market in St. Louis. And so we looked into that in social and search, and then we followed up by talking to people by. And it was so interesting that this term that we often take for granted does not have a shared meaning. Right. And in some regions, that conversation is further is further along or broader, particularly on in the coasts. There's, there's a broader conversation about what that is. And in other parts, all we kept coming up with on social was green spaces and energy-efficient appliances. So we were able to look at the trend lines and we could see that, all right, the conversation's picking up. So we think this is, just, this is a lagging market, so good to invest in this. But one of the key takeaways was <laughs> don't talk about anything but energy efficient appliances and green space at first because you're going to have a conversation that nobody is into yet or ready for yet that's not the way in so it was, it was such a learning and, and a reminder because sometimes we need the reminder of like this term sustainability what that means depends on where you are and what part of it you're going to connect with also depends on like what your life is like at the moment it's like oh Energy efficient appliances, save money, good for the world. Okay, great. Green spaces, yes, nature. Nature equals more sustainable. Okay, it's a way in. So that was one of those. Um, it was eye opening for me, it was eye opening for, for the client as well.
0: So how much of an influence has COVID nineteen had now on, you know, future developments? Because you're seeing a convergence of personal and business lives, right? For a lot of people in terms of where they live and work. So What are you seeing in terms of some uh, significant shifts and changes? One thing that I I was
1: tracking early on was we saw this, like people are leaving the cities like New York and San Francisco and LA, and that was true, like there's been some migration from. Um, Then looking at where people are going to was interesting because it turned out like they're going to second-tier cities for the most part as opposed to suburbs. Say okay, there's more mobility, but people still want access to some of those really cool things about being in an urban area. Walkability, different types of amenities, um, culture, access to culture, um, even the energy of other people. They still wanted that, just less dense. <laughs> and just say, okay. But initially, the thought was, oh, it's, everybody's going to suburbs. And then as you start to look into it, you're like, mm, not so much there's like this growth of second tier cities. So that was one 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 learning. And then to your point, there's a greater desire for more, and, and this has now really come to the surface, this is a greater desire for more hybrid working setups. Um, because people like working remotely, but there's also a level where they want other people around. Even if it's watching other people work, it's energizing, and people miss that. They want to see other people working. Even if they never talk to them, just that vibe, is like that energy is, is contagious. Um, and when you're just kind of solo doing it from your home office, or if you have a home office, then you miss that. And, and people, there's definitely an appetite for that. So it's going to be interesting to see how developers are starting to answer that. How do you, how do you create room for that? for that mix um, with, with folks. Um, that's, that's one that, that I'm definitely watching and
0: curious about. I think some developers having more co-working spaces within a, a, their own units, right? So that uh, residents can go out of their apartment, you know, one or two floors and they're in a co-working space as opposed to going somewhere else or even a cafe, right? Exactly, but then it's, the question is like,
1: how, how do you design the co-working space? So that's where the that's where the fun is, right? Is like we know we need more co-working spaces, but what do they look like? How do they flow? That's the that's where I think people will will differentiate on who gets those things right, the flow of work of of the co-working spaces and how they're designed. I think that's going to be the, the key here to who wins in that regard.
0: So if there was an area of cultural insight, you'd love to do a deeper dive. What would it be and why?
1: It would have to be. It has to be around science. Because I've been really, it's, I mean, how can you not be fascinated by the way that, that the way science has come, become so central in the cultural dialogue, like, in a way that it hasn't been for a while, like in a contentious way that you're like, this is really interesting. Like, so I'd love to get more into like, so how is it produced? How does it get disseminated? How, what's the, how do people receive it? What counts as credibility? What are the cultural signifiers of credibility? What, is, what does science even mean to people? What are the cultural associations with it right now? How does that differ by different segments? Those are some, some of the things that I'd love to do more of a deeper dive on personally. Just like what, what's happening in that arena because it's, 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 it's a different thing that, that we're seeing happening here.
0: So for these deeper dives, you do quite a bit of qualitative research, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you see qualitative research changing uh, moving forward? And if so, how? I think we need to, like social
1: and search, I think we need to bring that into the fold of qualitative research. So we have to start thinking about how to do it at scale. Um, but that's one where, where I think for too long, it was just treated as a quant as, as a quant database. But like by definition, if you look at the properties of posts and searches, those, that's not quantitative data. That's qualitative data at an enormous scale. We need to start engaging with that as qualitative researchers, figuring out how we're going to how we're going to be able to really dive into that. That's that's one major major thing that I think is important. Um, beyond that, I think you know we have an amazing set of tools. So one thing I'd like to stop hearing about is it's the end of focus. group. It's the end of what I want to interview. It's it's the like it's all very contextual. And it's just I think we just need to think about that array of tools we have and 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 think carefully about when we apply them. Like quantum researchers are not like it's the end of segmentations. It's the end of Cluster analysis, but we're always <laughs> jumping off. Like we're doing away with the focus group, and I've, been, I've quite gotten my head around it. Um, we have a lot of great tools. Um, I think we need to expand them. We need to start thinking about what counts as qualitative more broadly, like social and search, and you know, make sure observation is is a key part of what we're doing as well. Um, and then I think think about our frameworks how how we start to filter that the information.
0: In some ways, if you think about it, I think the need for quality is probably increased because now we're swimming in, in so much data, but a lot of that data is telling you what people have done, but it still doesn't tell you why they're doing it, right? And, and that's still a mystery is what's really driving the, the actual action. And I think even now, uh, post-COVID, uh, an area that's probably going to need to be more explored is actually how do employees think and feel because the work environment is changing dramatically as you're seeing it in developments, right? So do you think that the need for qualitative maybe is even increasing?
1: Oh, yes. And, and for exactly the reason you said, um, the, more, the more people, you know, got enamored with big data and that was the silver bullet, come out of the other side of that. And even with advanced analytics and big data, you still end up with the fundamental, like, okay, but why? And then by the time that it's big enough to capture quantitatively and do advanced analytics on, it's a thing already. So if you're trying to pick up signals of what may lie ahead and what's underneath the surface, you have to do qualitative. If you want to get to the why, if you want to get under the surface, if you want to try to have a bit of foresight, I don't think there's any way you can get there without without the qualitative.
0: And how much of an influence do you think getting at the why is? for something that a lot of brands would want to do, which is differentiate and innovate. How important do you think it is to get at the why versus just seeing what people are doing?
1: I think that's the game, really, is getting at the why. Because if you really want to connect, then then that's how you're going to do it, right? At the motivation. You know, like Simon Sinek. What's the why? That's why people want to come alongside of you because of your why. But you can't align your why as a brand with your customer's why until you want under, to really understand that, And that's where the connection happens. When my why and your why can meet, then, then we're in it together. Then, then we can be in it together. Otherwise, it's just all about your why and not mine. So I think the magic is, is there. When, when the brand's why and the customer's why, the people's why meet, is, is where you get that, the most powerful connections.
0: It seems like that's what really drives true innovation and differentiation, don't you think? Yes. Yeah, I do. And that's something a lot of brands are seeking because that's the way to have a competitive edge. But if you really think about it, the way to really get that is to yeah. have a deeper understanding of the why.
1: And that why is going to be layered, right? It will be simple, and it won't necessarily be just what people say you also have to be paying attention to what they do and what's underneath what they say what are the frame the cultural frames that drive the reasons they give you like that level of analysis um, i think is the is the other piece um, maybe that ties back to your question on qualitative is is we hear people tell us their why we need to get underneath their why <laughs> the why of their why the, like, what, what's driving that set of answers? What, what could be the cultural framework that's underneath that that can help us understand how they've come to that, to feel that way?
0: Yeah, it's true. if you think about it, the deeper you dig, the more likely you're going to get a bigger competitive advantage too, right? Yes.
1: Yeah. You'll have more fertile territory to work with.
0: Exactly. And yeah.
1: You'll just connect deeper. Your roots with them are going to go deeper.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm curious, in the world of cultural insights uh, and qualitative, who would you love to have lunch with and why? Um, it's a good question. They're not, they're, they're like adjacent
1: to these territories, but two people. One is Tamim Ansari and then Yuval Harari, um, because they're both doing this like cultural history. So, the way that they approach history is very much about shifts in culture and how they developed and how cultures affected each other. And I'm just endless. That's, you know, I was interested in exactly (laughs) (laughs) how do cultures change and shift and what drives those. And, and they look at the different layers of it. Like they're looking at the, the environmental and they're looking at the economic and they're looking at political and they're looking at social. So they're, really taking a broad cultural perspective on that i'd just love to sit down with either one (laughs) to kind of just talk about you know what what's happening today and and where they see things going and they have that historian's perspective of like these are the waves of change that we've seen and like all right so, so what do you think we're in now what is it more comparable to is it more comparable to like the enlightenment the reformation the pre-Civil War era, where, like, what do you compare it
0: to? That sounds very interesting. Well, I want to thank you very much, Cleo. This has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, you've given me a new perspective on the, some of these things, and which is uh, something I appreciate. Thank you. Oh, Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Have a great day. Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com. And make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening.